0: because I had made that plan a long time ago. And to go to Minnesota to see my mother, it absolutely worked perfectly in God's plan, though, because about a week before my trip, she had another stroke. And so we had uh, had the opportunity to go there. And and my mom has had four strokes by this point. She's had a massive heart attack, only has a third of her heart left. But somehow this lady keeps going, (laughs) and she is... um, she's been always been an inspiration to me, but it, this time was it was a little harder because it was the first time that she didn't recognize who I was, and so that's always a challenge you know so but on the positive side, she's in a new nursing home where she has better care um, you know before she was in an assisted living where she didn't have direct access to a call light or anything like that, so now I, we feel a whole lot better so uh, but yeah, i just I really really appreciate being back and I tell you why is because you know this is a this is an absolute... I look at there's nothing better in life than to be able to preach the Word of God. I have, I have done a lot of things in my life. I've done a lot of you know, things that have been really fun. Uh, love sports, I love sports. You know, I love football. I love basketball. I love tennis. You name them. I love golf. But there is nothing better than preaching the Word of God. Amen. Why in the world do I love to preach the Word of God so much? Well, part of the reason is is because in today's age what's happening to the word of god is a, a backslidden very watered down version of it where we are very rarely confronted with what i'm about to talk today about the decision between heaven and hell the story the bible that we're about to, the scripture that we're about to talk about is the sermon the end the climax to the sermon on the mount jesus is speaking to all these people who have come to watch and have followed him. Jesus was like a rock star. After a while, everything he did, people would rush to him. Thousands and thousands of people would come up to him. In our day and age, the only thing probably we've ever seen like that was probably you know, a super basketball player like Michael Jordan or, <laughs> or Michael Jackson in, in the singing world where people would rush to him. Jesus was like that. Jesus commanded attention. When he came, people didn't want him. The the authorities in the city didn't want him because he would take away all of the focus. It all went to Jesus, and these people would follow him in flocks. And the reason is, is because Jesus was doing something no other man had done. He was healing of all sorts. He was taking, he was healing people from the dead. All matter of sickness and ailments that people had, the Lord was doing. And that's what brought the people. And the Lord knew that. But that was not why the Lord was here. He was not here to be the genie in the bottle that would do whatever you wanted and command the wishes and all these things. That was an attribute of his abilities to do that. He is God. He has this amazing, uncanny ability to heal, to to do miracles, to, to stop storms, as we know. But his mission on this, his very big mission, and I want to tell you right off the bat, the focus of this book, the if you want to know a snapshot of the Bible, what this book is, is a rescue mission. A rescue mission. Anyone who tells you anything different does not understand what's written therein. This book was written for us because we had fallen. We had fallen in our sin. When Adam bit the apple, all men have sinned and it went down. When you were born into this earth, you were born with a sinful nature. You were born, you didn't need to be taught how to sin. You were born with it. But God commanded a plan and he put it out. And this is the only thing that, there's no other person who could do this but the Almighty God, could create a book that is perfect from cover to cover. And in in our world today, so many people do not want to teach it in the pulpit. They don't want to teach some of it. They want to pick and choose the things that are popular. But they do not want to preach the word of God in its entirety. And unless you do that, you'll never understand that this is a huge problem rescue mission and that's what we're going to talk about today we're going to start and you have your bibles if you could turn to matthew chapter 7 i have in your bulletins a little note part that we do these notes are for you because i believe very strongly that a sermon shouldn't end at the end of eleven thirty. a sermon should be for your whole week it should guide you it should be food for your nourishment not because jeremy lapine said the sermon but because if you are leaving church and you do not have direct application into your life, something's not right. Either the preacher's not preaching the word or you're not listening. I like an active congregation, so I give you this to write down those notes so you can take them home and you can think about these things. Sunday is not the only day to be in God's word, amen? Amen. We have Matthew chapter seven, verse 13 and 14 says this, enter by the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there be many who go by in, in by it, because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way that leads to life. And there are few who find it. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Lord, our Heavenly Father, I come to you right now and ask you to take the pulpit from me. I ask that your words preach like you did on the Sermon on the Mount that I do not get, away, get in the way of this very, very important message. God, use me as a tool. But Lord, help me stay humble. Help me, help my, get my sin out of my life. Lord, cleanse me from the wickedness that I am and allow this word to come from you to the congregation. May it convict hearts. May it convict hearts today and that it may be used to do mighty works in your in your house here at Crystal Cove thank you dear Lord Jesus amen. amen starting out by giving a little background in chapter 7 on the Sermon on the Mount there's three chapters that compose this chapter 5 6 and 7 Jesus starts out the sermon on the on this chapter 7 he's talking about judging others and real, real briefly I'm not going to read it but he wants us to not judge others lest we be judged It's very important that we understand that, that we're not going to sit there and be the judge and the jury for the world and boom, 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 he warns against it. Okay, and then on a positive note, you know, and and, and going back to that, we see judging everywhere. How many of you watched the Kavanaugh hearing? Our Congress is is just loaded on judging a man. Okay, they wanna destroy a person's life and I'm not saying he's guilty or innocent, I'm not saying that, but you see a tendency in our culture today that you are guilty Because someone says words and you're judged whether you did it or not in our country. Wow, is that a dangerous, slippery, sliding slope, right? Say that fast. (laughs) Isn't it, though? Isn't it dangerous to think that we are in a society where someone can say something for you and you are automatically guilty? We have become a society of judging. We also contrast this negative behavior that Christ warns against with a very healthy discipline that he asks us to do. He asks us to ask him, to seek him, to knock to our Heavenly Father. And that's later in the chapter, where he tells us, basically, if you need anything, ask anything you will. And if it's in the will of my Father, I will give it to you. So God is saying, you have direct access to me. You know, I was at a church last Sunday, and i got to bring this up. It has nothing to do with my message, but it just has been on my mind. And I want my daughters to hear this. I was at this message of, of my daughter Jill's. We went to this church, and first of all, it was a very young church, which was really exciting because the young kids were all in there. They were all really enthusiastic. The music was far above anything we'll ever do. It was amazing music. But something was missing in this message the pastor got up and it was all about praise and bringing your praise on when you're having a difficult time, when you're having challenges in your life and you're struggling in your life. Put your praise music on and bring your praise to church and come, you come to church to bring your praise and you bring and you praise and you sing to the Lord and then he'll show up. Folks, there's a problem with that doctrine. It's because when Jesus Christ died on the cross, the veil was torn The veil was torn, and what that signified is at any given time, all the time, we have the Holy Spirit as a Christian inside of us. He's with us always. Amen? Amen. You don't have to go to church to meet God. If you are a Christian and you have Jesus Christ in your heart, you have him 24-7. And as a Christian, you know it. You are a different person. All things are new in your life. You're still a sinner. You still fall into sin. But there's just something about Jesus Christ in a life. It changes you. And if you have to feel you have to go to church to get your praise on, you're missing out. Your praise is 24-7. And every day you can have your praise with the Lord. Amen? Now we've got to get into the decision, though. The sermon is on the narrow gate. We looked at these verses. There's always been decisions. In your life, you make them every day. One of the challenging decisions I have every morning, I know it's going to sound really goofy, is to put which socks on. Okay, and I'll tell you why. Because I'm the worst when I take my socks off. I don't throw them together in a ball. Okay, they go into the wash, and I always get one back, and I can't find the other one. So I'm going through my drawer many, many times, and there's one sock here, one sock there. Now I added to my misery by adding two golden retrievers in my life who happen to love to eat socks. So every day, these golden retrievers, I was walking my dog the other day, and, and he was really, really not acting normal, and he, and he finally threw up, and here was Ren's sock. <laughs> so Ren's having this problem too. This, this thing. But you know, every day, we've got to make decisions from what to put on. What are we going to wear? Okay, little decisions, but also they get bigger, don't they? As you grow older, as you say, i got to choose who I'm going to marry. That's a tough one. Who I'm going to spend the rest of my life with. Who I'm going to marry. Okay, there's other decisions we got to make. What job to take. Where do we want to work. What career do we want to do. My daughter Jill is at that place where all of a sudden decisions are everywhere. Mom and dad aren't making the decisions anymore. Jill is. And it's interesting to see as she's doing really well, making some good decisions. But the reality is we all have them. But here's the tragedy. Here is the tragedy. We go through our whole life focused on all these decisions, but we neglect the most important one. The decision that controls our future eternity. Folks, I got something to tell you today. You are an eternal being. This little walk in life, some of us, My friend had a grandma died at 102. That's a rarity. Some of us 90, some of us 80, some of us 70, some of us tragically very young. But all of us have a thing that happens to us when we die our souls live forever. And we have to understand that. There's people out there today and you talk to them and they say, what happens when you die? Well, you go down and you're six feet under. I was talking to a guy when I was in college and I was trying to witness to him and one of the things he said, I said, what do you believe happens to you when you die? Well, you bury me six feet under and that's it. Tragically, that is not true. <laughs> or positively, that's not true. The reality is there is a heaven and there's a hell. And in your life, you are going to go to one of those to, these two places, and that's what this sermon is about. This is what Jesus was talking about at the end of his Sermon on the Mount. He gave a, a whole part in chapter 6 talking about Judaism. Basically, the Jews at that time, were these very, they're called Pharisees, living according to the law. And Jesus took, before he got into the two choices in life, these gates, he's choosing to talk about, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just totally, totally take apart Judaism right now. That's what he did. He said, when you do your alms, don't do them like the Pharisees do, where you go out and you show everybody you're giving to people. If you're, if you're fasting, don't go home and look like, oh, I'm so hungry and I'm so fasting. He says, wash your face. So he spent some time going over and basically saying, don't live like this. Okay? He's preparing you for this, two, this important question. Because what these people did throughout the throughout time is they worked to get to heaven. They did all these things, and superficially they looked so good. Paul was one of them. We know this about Apostle Paul, right? Apostle Paul was one of the chief Pharisees. He was the guy that was above the law. He he just he was he never ever, very rarely in public, failed. He was amazing as a as a Judaism in Judaism. He he could do he knew all the laws, he abided by them. And yet Christ came to him on the road to Damascus, and what did he do? He said, Paul, why do you persecute me? Why do you do it? And the glory of the Lord came on that man, and Paul went blind for three days. And when he came out the other side, Jesus had come into his life and in his heart, and he was a new person. He changed the whole New Testament. Majority of it is written by the Apostle Paul. But something was wrong beforehand, and that's what I want to get at. The problem is is that we have a superficial desire to do good works, and we look good on the outside, but inside we are sick. We are like filthy rags, Isaiah says. And that's what Jesus came at this point and says, okay, I'm going to take and I'm going to make it very simple. We're going to talk about two destinations. Heaven and hell, and how do we get there? In Moses' time, Moses said these words, and it's been this way from the beginning. Moses said this in Deuteronomy 30:19, "I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore choose life that both you and your descendants may live. Joshua said it in 24, 15. Joshua was perplexed. The whole, his whole Israel tribe was worshiping other gods. And this is what he says. He goes, And it seemed evil unto you to serve the Lord. Choose you this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the flood. And we know what happened to that god. We know what happened with the flood. But that's what he's saying. Choose those gods or, he goes on, or the gods of the Amorites. You've already, you can choose the ones that led you to destruction over here, or you can choose the one that, now the Amorites who are next to us, you can choose their gods. But he goes, in which land you dwell. But for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Amen. The choice was there for Joshua. It was no other way but this gate. Now as we go back to that verse, here's your point one on your little outline. Jesus teaches that life for every human has only two gates that lead to two destinations. Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction, and there are many who go in by it. But narrow is the gate and difficult is the way that leads to life, and few that find it. This may sound obvious, but let me tell you something. I'm going to open up some lies, and I'm going to get picked on this week because Satan hates it. He hates what I'm about to say. This is what Satan does. I'm going to use an illustration. When I was golfing with Pastor, I hit a ball. I hit a yellow ball, and he's used this illustration, but I'm going to use it for a totally different purpose. I hit my yellow ball on the ninth fairway, and it went to the left, and it went in over the trees, and I said, okay, I've got to go get my ball. And I went out there, and I hit it on a driving range. My ball was yellow, and in the driving range was thousands of yellow golf balls. <laughs> and I looked out there, and I'm like, I told Pastor, I'm like, we're starting to look for this thing, and they were all so close, but if you ever golfed, you know a range ball is a little different because it says range on it and they're not as good of golf balls, they don't hit very well, but they look just like my ball. (laughs) And I'm sitting here frantically trying to find my ball and in golf you don't have forever to find it. But let me tell you something, that is exactly what Satan has done to the message I'm giving. You'll go to church after church after church and you'll see a lot of yellow balls that look very close but they lack the power of the cross. You will go and you will look and you will, and you will sit in the pews and they'll say some of the words and some of the, some of the principles God's given, but they lack the power of Jesus Christ on Calvary. They lack the death and the bloodshed that had to be shed for you and me. And so when he's talking about a broad way, It's not just people that are pagans that don't believe in God. That's people that have been raised in churches. Churches that have gone and they've heard, maybe never even heard the gospel, but they've heard the good things to do and be a good person. And what basically Satan has done is he has completely taken what God has, the truth, and he said, I'm going to get real close with a bunch of different ones and, and make you figure it out. Wow, he's been good at it, hasn't he? What did Jesus tell us to do with the gospel? He said, go to all the world and spread the gospel. He sent them out two by two. What does Satan do? He'll take a sect right over here, Jehovah Witnesses. He'll take the Mormons. And he does our, the work that we're supposed to do. Isn't it amazing? He, he sends them out and they are, more, they are more fervent. And they go out there and you know what happens? Their church grows and Satan passes a lie. What we're supposed to do, they're doing. And in churches, even the churches where we call evangelical churches, the word of God is not spoken like this. Because it's hard. It hurts. It convicts. It's painful at times. It brings us on our knees. It creates tears to roll down our faces. Because when we look and compare our lives to the holiness of God, it creates in us conviction. And we in our society don't want to be convicted. Satan wants to do everything he can to deceive us. And you know, one of the bumper stickers that's out there, and this may shed some light to you who have seen it and said, Yeah, that kind of makes sense. This bumper sticker that says coexist. You seen it? As a Christian, you should look at that and it should just be like a knife going through your heart. Because what it says, let me read what these are. C is the star of the crescent moon, a symbol for Islam. O is a symbol of peace. E includes the symbols for male and female. This represents the feminist movement and the promotion of transgender, transgender homosexuality. The X is the star of David for Judaism. I is dotted with the witchcraft pentagram. S is the yin and the yang, which represents Buddhism and Hindu, Hinduism. And the last one, of course, they would use is the T for talking, uh, talking about Christianity, which comes last. Well, what does coexist mean? Well, coexist, and this is what the world is pushing for right now, is a one-world religion. Where all of us, there's room for everybody. There's not one religion, there's not one way that's better than the other, so we put them all on the same playing field and say, we're all good. We're all okay. Hindu, Islam, they, they read the same Bible you do. They're going to heaven. Jews, I mean, Jews have the original. They're going to heaven. The Judaism... Original Judaism and and Buddhism and stuff, but we can't we can't neglect them. And the movement we want to have full everybody have whatever rights they want to sexually, whether they want to be a man, a woman, or a chimpanzee, they're in. Okay, they're in. We can't exclude anybody. Folks, I got a really rough message today for you. That is not Christianity. That is not Christianity. We're talking about a narrow, narrow gate. And wide is this gate that leads to destruction. The ones that follow this kind of thinking, I'm going to tell you the truth, they're going to hell. Now you may say to me, Jeremy, you are so judgmental. I'm not telling you this. I'm saying what God, what Jesus said on the Sermon on the Mount. Let's look at this. Point number, did I do point two? Point two. Just one way. Don't miss point two. Jesus warns that the gate that leads to heaven is narrow and wide is the gate that leads to life. Next week, the next two weeks, here's what I'm talking about. I'm going to talk about hell for a full week, (laughs) and I'm going to talk about heaven for a full week. If you have people that do not know Jesus Christ as their Savior, this is a must. Bring them. Bring them. Maybe one of the few times in their life that they're going to hear and be faced with what really hell is like, what the Bible says about hell. But I'm not going to leave them there. I'm not just all gloom and doom. I'm going to tell you the next week what heaven is. The vision of heaven that we don't even look at. And how amazing heaven's going to be. I want to talk about my point three here. Blank find the wide gate, but blank find the narrow gate. Many and few. You know many and few. When you're in Disney, when you are at, uh, at an Easter egg hunt, you know, I've been to them and they have some big prizes and they'll put like maybe, I'll give you a $50 gift card in one of these eggs and maybe there's another big prize. And so you go around, but most of the eggs when you find them have one little jelly bean in them. But you're on a search for the main prize, right? Well, let me tell you something. Is it easy when I talk like that to talk about many and few? Many eggs, but only few find the good prizes. How much bigger is heaven in this scenario? When Jesus is talking many and he's talking few, it's not 60% and 40%. It's not. And I don't have the exact number. It's not 70 and 30%. I don't have the exact number. I don't know. But I do know this. Many and few scare me. When I read this verse, I could not sleep at night. That night, I wrestled with God that night because what it told me was, I need to get off my butt and start preaching God's word. And so do you. Because many, many, many are going to go to hell and few are going to find this narrow gate and you know who the narrow gate is. Point number four. Bible says in John 7, many who go by in it, but narrow is the gate and difficult is the way. The fourth point is the narrow gate is difficult. Folks, we have a problem in our society with Christianity that we believe if you just say the words, if you just raise your hand once, you're in. You're done. You did it. It's called easy believism. And the problem is we haven't taught salvation correctly. Salvation requires you to say, I can't do this. I can't get to heaven on my own. I need a Savior. And I'm going to turn from my sins, and I'm going ahead of myself, but I'm going to turn from my sins, and I'm going to accept my Savior. And it is not easy. It's hard to find the truth. Like I said, there's so many religions out there, it's so easy to get confused. It's, first of all, hard to find the gate. And secondly, it's difficult to go through this gate. Why is it so difficult? I've always wondered, why is it so difficult for people to accept Jesus Christ as their Savior? But it must be difficult because very few people are doing it, right? But it is, and let me tell you why I think it is. Because we are born from Adam's sin, a sinner. And as we live our lives, one of the things that Satan has put his seed into us, besides our desires to have wealth and materialism, One of the greatest things he put in our seed is pride. We do not want to admit that we don't have all the answers. You can tell that by when you talk to people and you go out and you start talking to them. They never ask you questions. They always talk about themselves because they, they, they know everything. You ever been around those type of people? We're everywhere. Prideful, arrogant, non-reflective. It's difficult to accept especially for men that you need a savior it's difficult to humble yourself under a cross to say i need calvary it's difficult it hurts it hurts to look back at the things that you have done cuz you know they're wrong It hurts to go to the cross and say, I know I've sinned against God, and I know I've done this, and I've stolen from this person, and I had sex before marriage from this person. I'm sorry I'm talking blatant, but this is the reality we all live in. It hurts to go to the cross and say, I've sinned. It's difficult. Consider the cost, Jesus said. You must humble yourself, consider the cost. What builder goes out and starts a building without a plan, knowing that if he starts on the foundation and he builds it, ah, oh, I'm getting tired, I'm done. You consider the cost of building a house because it's difficult. In your life, when you are thinking about accepting Jesus Christ, it's a life of difficulty. Are you willing to accept a man who came to this earth and God's son, and are you willing to accept it, and then are you willing to follow him with your life? It's difficult. It's not easy. I've had blessing after blessing as a Christian, but I've also had pain after pain. My next point, later and right after this, this is where it's going to really make you go, wow. Christ tells this important verse, and then he follows it with the most important words he'll say here. Beware of false teachers. Because they're going to come. They're going to dilute it. They're going to say all things that I'm saying and they're going to twist it all up and they're going to package it different and they're going to say this is better because this is what everybody wants. It appeals to their flesh. Let's make music rock in here, baby, because that's what we need to make this thing work. We need to have our, our music so good and so joyous and so powerful that people will come flooding in this gate. But that's not the word of God. Look at what he says, 7, 15 through 18. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs or thistles? Even so, every good tree bears forth good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Fifth point, beware of false teachers who teach false doctrine. I'm going to shed some light on it. You know I will. I'm going to put a flashlight on some of it right now to see it because it's important. You, as Christians, are responsible for those around you, young ones who you bring to church, to tell them when they're off track. You do. You got that responsibility. You need to know your doctrine. You need to know your stuff. Here's the problem What's happening right now. It's called prosperity gospel. Just one of them. I'm going to go through four. Prosperity teaching says, you know what, I'm going to pick and choose wealth is a my god they're not going to sell that to you but that's what it is i'm going to preach to you that if you follow god he's going to open doors and things are going to happen you're going to be blessed like abraham was in the old testament great things are going to happen you're going to be sick and you're going to be healed and all these things are going to go great for you in your life if you just have enough faith that's the prosperity gospel that is false teaching the second one is this an emotional gospel we're going to go, like I said last week, we're going to go get our praise on. We're going to get all excited. We're going to have all this amazing, what, what Adrian Rogers calls liver shivers. I love that word. When you get so emotional into a music or, or whatever, Holy Spirit feeling that this is what it's about, what happens to those people is they're superficially thin in emotions and their depth in the word of God is not there. They don't know what the truth really is. Be very careful of that experienced church. Church, also, be very, very careful this next one, a cultural defined church. What this church is, is the church that we see happening all over the place right now. It's saying what God said back in, in the New Testament, the rules of the church and how he defined it, the chain of command for who can be a deacon, who can be a pastor, who can do all these things. And then we're talking about sexualism, whether you, you can live with your spouse before marriage. All these things are changing in churches and they're becoming accepted. Let me tell you something. God is an unchanging God. The words of the New Testament hold for today. And if you go and you start going and picking and choosing scripture, you are in danger. I promise you that. Your life is off track. Get it back on. My fourth one is this, a good deed gospel. And here's the dangerous, most dangerous, dangerous thing. You can get into a church where they're really good at doing great things for the community. You can go and it's a very seeker-sensitive church where you very rarely hear the gospel, but you're always talking about doing good for other people. They put film strips up of what they've done. Okay, it sounds a whole lot like what Jesus was talking about in chapter 6 on Judaism. We look great on the outside, but inwardly, we're sinning like crazy and we don't care. Here's the final climax to this message, and this is what's going to keep you up at night. Matthew 7:21 through 23. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me you workers of lawlessness. I'm not talking about the pagans that don't believe in Jesus Christ as their Savior. I'm talking about a different group. We're talking about a group that sits in pews like this today that are outwardly shining. They look so good. But inwardly, they have never given their life to Jesus Christ. How tragic. Because Why this should keep you up at night is simply this. What profit of a man to gain the whole world, yet lose his soul? You're an eternal being. Two destinations, two gates. One is large, one is tiny. One, they both profess they're going to heaven, both gates. One goes to hell, the other goes to heaven. My question for you today, between you and the Lord, do you know where you're going? And you may say, I've been in church my whole life. There's no way I'd raise my hand right now. When Jeremy gives this invitation, there is no way. That is sad. And here's the reason why. Why would you ever risk eternity? Because of your pride. Let's bow every head bowed and every eye closed. God, I'm going to open this up. I'm going to give the gospel right now, the truth of God's word. And Lord, I need your power to come down here and allow the people, if there's any in here right now that need to make this decision, that you will convict them so mightily that they will raise their hand and accept you as their Savior. Congregation, the Bible says. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Every one of us from birth is destined to hell. For the wages of sin, of our sin is death. But he didn't end it there. He said the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. In John chapter 3, he talks about experience with Nicodemus that has to occur, and it's called being born again. If you've never accepted Jesus Christ into your life, now is the time. Don't put it off. Now is the time. God is calling you, calling you, to turn from your sin, and lift up your arms and say, "I can't get to heaven on my own, and I need you, Jesus Christ, to save me from my sins." I'm going to say the words right now. If you feel convicted, then you just raise your hand, and I will pray for you at the end of this message, and we will accept Jesus Christ together. If you right now feel convicted inside you that God is calling you, knocking on the door of your heart to accept him. Could you please raise your hand for me? Is there anybody right now that does not know for sure they're going to heaven? Just raise it up. I see one. Thank you very much. Is there any others? I'm giving some time. You could have been going your whole life thinking you're okay. But right now, God is knocking on your door of your heart saying, you're not okay. You need a conversion. You need to accept Jesus Christ as your Savior. Is there anyone? I'm not going to make it dramatic and hold it up, but I'm giving you this one last chance. Is there anyone else who wants to accept Christ today? For that person, you say that quietly where you're at. and want to say these words. You say it to the Lord as I say them. God, I am so sorry for my sin. I'm so sorry that I've lived my life with me in control of the cockpit of it. I never gave my life over to you, God, but I do not want to live with that. I want to live with you inside my heart. I know I can't get to heaven on my own, so I'm giving you myself right now. I'm calling out to Jesus to save me from my sins so I know I can go to heaven and be with you. Say those words. And mean it in your heart. The Bible says you profess with your heart and say it with your mouth. You can know you're going to heaven. God, I thank you so much for this person who had the strength, the strength to say, my pride goes on the shelf and I'm going to ask Jesus in my life. I pray the richest blessings on him. I pray you watch over him. And I pray you help him grow in the word of God. God, I thank you for this church. And may this word, this two gates, convict us to preach your word on the hills as a bright light to those who need the gospel. In your precious name. Amen. Amen. And I guess we will dismiss. Thank you guys very much for coming. Have a great day.